0: Good morning. On April 10th, 1922. It's cool, and it's WBT WB Charlotte North Carolina. I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, time. This is a big broadcast for WBT. Well, let's call it take it. What do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Ray. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first-timer. <laughs> let's take it by Let's go. First best Hornet, history Hurricane Hugo has made landfall. Yeah, no power, no information coming into the station other than the telephone. Him down.
3: Him it's it's down. a very special radio station because people care. It's
0: the John Hancock radio program. Carolina Panthers have been named Unload. the NFL's newest expansion. Panthers <laughs> yeah. with their first back touchdown. Bank of America Stadium. Right. Kind of
3: jumping back and forth in our coverage here. a long,
0: strange trip It's still in the pool, please. managed to evade police. I'm David Chatwick plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Bam!
1: I'm Stacy Sims.
0: Charlotte's Mr.
2: Wright. Carolina Panthers are headed to Super Bowl 50.
0: The Star-Ails are going to win!
2: What's going to be the impact? We may of see some serious issues here at midnight. We're
1: providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bo.
0: Hey, gather around,
1: my
2: friends, and this mythical planet. WPT, the Great Colossus of the South. Through the years, I love this radio station as much as you guys do,
0: but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice
2: of the good stuff. This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast.
3: I was always very surprised that WBT let me do the talk show. I was 23 years old, and if if I were a manager of a radio station, I wouldn't put a
1: 23-year-old in charge of much of anything. In 1972, Bob Lacey arrived at one Julian Price place and soon became one of the youngest regular on-air personalities in the station's history. I really loved... Getting
3: very, very close to the listeners, especially on the talk show.
1: His first regular gig was a groundbreaking show for a station that primarily played music at the time. We may not have made a difference in somebody's life, but I just have the feeling that we cheered up a few people who were very, very lonely. Management decided to turn the 23-year-old Lacey loose with a microphone and a telephone after the sun went down. It was kind of goodwill that there there are
3: some good things going on in life and maybe... You take some woman who's alone in upstate New York, and it's the middle of the winter, and her husband died two years ago. And here's some people having a good time, and she can tune in, and it's not uh, it's not television.
1: It's happening right now. I felt really good about that. Lacey Listens became WBT's first nighttime telephone talk show.
0: WBT, this is Lacey Listens.
1: Let's take another call. WBT, you're on the air. Almost dropped it, Cleo.
0: Hello. Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. How you doing? Mighty fine. Hey, ain't you the Mannishevitz man? Maybe one day you'll be doing what I'm doing, telling your friends, man, oh man, what a groovy wine.
2: Peace. Mannishevitz Wine Company, New York.
3: Hey, uh, aren't you the, uh, aren't you the Mannishevitz wine man? JR here, take this wine, JR. Your face will fall apart. There it goes. Let's take another call and see what we have here. WBT, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Oh, Emmett, your face is falling apart. It's Cindy from Brooklyn, New York, with a nose job. Hi, Cindy.
0: I am the Manischewitz girl.
3: You're the Manischewitz. You're too young to drink, even in New York. Man, oh, Manischewitz, what a wine.
0: Yes, yeah, sir. So what you been doing?
3: Well, uh, sitting around here doing a little radio program. At night, uh, it's it's pretty loose, as you know, and uh, you can just experiment, and it, it just with the, with the wonderful reach of WBT, you could do some many things. So at 23, 24 years of age, I had this wonderful, great big toy with people calling from Vermont and Key West, Florida, and all these wonderful characters, and it was a great training ground for me.
1: Bob became very popular in short order, so much so that he was promoted to take over WBT Mornings in 1975.
3: W-B-T. Bob Lacey. It's 22 minutes before 8 o'clock on the Bob Lacey Good Morning Show here on WBT. If you were listening about this time or a little bit later to yesterday morning... Tall people got one reason...
1: Eventually, be joined by Harold Johnson in the AM slot, and the show became a ratings force in the very competitive mid-to-late 70s Charlotte radio market, rejuvenating WBT in the process. Time
3: now for off-the-wall news. True news stories. One of our executives gave me this. It comes from a political magazine, and this is absolutely true, folks. It has to do with H.E.W. Now, Harold, you may find it difficult to believe this report on bureaucratic insanity in the nation's capital, but it's if true. Califano's running it. I can believe it. Go easy on Joe.
0: We had some good times on that morning show, didn't we? I'll
3: tell you why you're a great partner to be with. No,
0: uh, it was always a lot of fun. Mornings are special. You never forget your times that you've worked, for, whether it's radio or anything, because they were so—they were good
3: times. Yeah, and it's—it's—it's a, it's a, sort of a special time for the audience because it's a personal time. They're just getting up and they have their regular routines and all. That's and right. They, they flip the radio on, and it's a funny thing. People have asked me about working with Harold, and uh, you know, how did they put you two guys together? And I don't even remember. But it's one of those things that you really can't create. You can't take two people and say we're going to take this guy and this guy, or this woman and this guy, and put them together, and it's going to be just fine.
0: That's right, because we had, we had the, the, the political extremity. We had the basic liberal, and the basic conservative, and I'm not going to tell you who was which. I always thought of it as oh. right and wrong. Uh <laughs> Sandy, come <laughs> here. You're up. you turn. <laughs> what? <wrong. laughs> what
3: did I do? <laughs> Freddie did it. you're <laughs> paying for it. Oh, that uh,
0: stinks. That's I'm really... irate. Yeah, calm down now. Oh, but but that, isn't that
3: wild, though, huh? That's right. That's really not they losing... have
0: to do up there all day. They
3: were going to lose a million dollars. The wild part is that they they have to have a plan to... Uh, have to have a plan Detailing how they're gonna implement this spanking.
0: <laughs> I say keep their money up there. Yeah. Raise local taxis. Uh, we don't need their money.
3: Hey, don't get into this. I just wanted a few laughs here this morning, Cause.
0: Well, on. we don't need their money. Eleven, ten, double, ten.
3: 18 minutes before 8 o'clock on 1110 WBT and the Bob Lacey Good Morning Show. Traffic Watch, get to work on time with Jeff Pilot is next, and then Dr. Joe Sobel talks about our cloudy AccuWeather forecast. The amazing thing about WBT was there was Grady Cole, and then there was Ty Boyd was on uh, for 12 years, and really for me was the consummate professional. Uh, H did it for a little while, but uh, everybody just loved H in the midday so much that they felt that's where he was best uh, serving the audience, and uh, he was on for so many years, somebody was right. And... And then, uh, then I came along in, in the course of uh, f- almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just amazing when, when you see turnover in radios. Okay, here we are at 18 after 8 o'clock, and with me in the studio here, I don't know if I can get everybody in here, H.A. Thompson and Good Ray Gooding, Elmer Hilker, who used to produce my talk show, John Jacobs, and another producer, I had a lot of producers, Jim Raylan and Paul Ingalls and Joe Van Riper. And, you know, they're just going to say some great things about me, because I am one of the nicest guys and easiest guys to get along with in this uh, business.
0: We (laughs) tell the truth at all (laughs) all times. What? Tell the truth at all times. You you know, the truth is really showing, isn't it, Ray? It really is. I mean, when he lets out that music, and people can't see what he's doing when the music's playing, but he's getting with it, getting down. I'm getting down. I'm going to tell a truth about Bob that you don't remember, do you, when we first met. You had on our... a double strength worsted wool suit. <laughs> I said, "Oh wow, another square." <laughs> Remember, I asked you. I say, "Where, where are you from?" uh, you said, uh, I don't know, some part of
1: Massachusetts. I say, how's the weather? (laughs) After five very successful years hosting Mornings, Bob decided to leave radio, but he remained with Jefferson Pilot Communications, and he stayed in the same building, too, as he moved down the hall to WBT's then-sister television station, WBTV. Tonight on PM Magazine. He was paired with Maura Quinn to host PM Magazine, where he spent the entire decade of the 80s dominating early evening TV. It really is very picturesque. Yeah. So
3: join us for PM Magazine. Your are going places Monday at 7.30 on WBTV Channel 3.
1: In 1990, Bob returned to radio and he came back down that same hall again, this time to rebuild 107.9, which was then known as WBT-FM. 107.9, Sunny
3: FM, Bob Lacey tagging along with you at 15 minutes before 10 o'clock on your way to work in the middle of at least 50 minutes of the greatest hits of yesterday's and today
0: 107.9 30 F
1: And that, of course, ultimately led to him meeting Sherry Lynch and the forming of the nationally syndicated Bob and Sherry Show. And I just so love the Charlotte
2: audience, uh, both with TV and in radio, uh, especially those early years. They were always so nice to me and so forgiving of somebody that you know does not have a doctorate in English. They forgave my failings. They they would disagree with me politically, and they still loved me, and I still loved. it was a great place to be on the air it still is
1: now the truth of the matter is i could do two more separate podcasts on bob's tv years and his second act in radio which continues as i speak but for the purposes of my latest Century Podcast, we're going to cover act number one, the WBT years. And I knew eventually we'd get here, um, but it's not the easiest thing to get the two of us in the same room anymore. I and know, Bo, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the one and only, the legendary Bob Lacey is sitting in front of me. And uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for sitting down with me today.
2: Yeah, I haven't been in this building in a while, and you and I were just talking, and it's always just been... And probably the most peaceful place that I've ever had in my life. I, I've lived in 23 different houses and apartments since I was a kid. So there was a lot of instability when I was growing up. And it's a business that is very unstable, too. But this place was always a place that I felt safe and comfortable in. And when I, when I say safe, I mean professionally and with the people I was working with, I've just loved it. I've loved the history of the building. I know some of the uh, stories behind the stories of <laughs> how things have changed. When I walked in here the day I turned 22, they took me on a tour. And downstairs, there was the Pine Terrace uh, restaurant, cafeteria, that the beloved Mr. and Mrs. Kelly worked And there were two bathrooms, and I I was told, don't use those bathrooms down there. One is for uh, Hattie, and one is for Lester. Hmm. And that was the maid and the butler of the building. Now, I came from a real hole of a, a radio station in Worcester, Massachusetts, so the idea that a radio station has a butler <laughs> and
1: a maid. Just, just like today, right? Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> yeah, like today. No, nothing's changed. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I was listening back to some old tape and uh, doing a little uh, research making sure I was ready to do this because people who listen to WBT in uh, modern times know I think uh, I, I've been around here since I was 16 years old. Now, mm-hmm. the day that I signed on as a full-time employee, I, I was 23. Mm-hmm. So you were 22 when you started yep. in this building. Right. And so um, I, I know uh, what it's like to be that age in this building, although that uh, it was many, many years before I actually uh, started doing mornings. Sure. So I want to walk back to the beginning because there there is radio before uh, this building for you, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I was working in a plastics factory in Attleboro, Massachusetts for minimum wage. And uh, I was married very, very young, and I had a lot of responsibilities early in life. And I was waiting to get into college, which I did at Roger Williams University in Bristol, Rhode Island. But I always loved radio. I was around radio as a kid. I had a garage band, and the records got played on the local stations in Hartford, and I knew some of the uh, jocks. Like Lee Baby Sims, who was my hero.
1: I keep waiting for something
3: really super to happen. All I ever do is just a heavy fade on me. Fade, fade out. Fade, fade, fade. Dirty Doors. Jim Morrison. Lee Baby, 909 on K-
2: <laughs> I got out of the factory and got into this real piece of crap car that I had, and I'm driving to East Providence, and I had the radio on, and there's this little daytime station that had a guy named Chuck Stevens. Texaco,
0: 1885 Mineral Spring Avenue, North Providence. I've got a Chuck Stevens T-shirt that you can wear proudly as you go up and down Mineral Spring Avenue.
3: And
2: he was, uh, God, he had to be 60 years old back then, and he played uh, early rock, and I'm listening to it, and he said, well, we have to say goodbye to my newsman. He's, uh, he's leaving us today to get into the hardware business, and uh, we want to say goodbye. And I, f- I found the damn place. <laughs> I didn't even go home, and I walked in, and I applied, and they gave me the job, again, for minimum wage. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody, you know, my age probably has a story like that. And then I worked for three stations in Rhode Island uh, to make enough money to, you know, pay the rent. And then a guy named John Lambis, who got me the uh, first full-time job I had at WSAR. Ahoy there, matey. It's 1480. (laughs) That was the jingle.
0: WSAR.
2: And he told me when I applied, he said, this is what this guy wants. And this guy was uh, a guy named Tom McMurray, who was the program director. And so I followed John's advice, and I got the job, and I did nights. And then John came down here and became WBT's, along with Tom McMurray, WBT's uh, production guy. And then I just drove down without an interview or anything, and I said, can you get me into that building? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, Tom. So, in I went, and they waltzed me into the general manager's office, whose name was Harold Henson, real nice Southern gentleman.
1: I remember Ty when I had Ty in here talking, he he mentioned Henson. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, He's a, he was a great man. And he liked me, and they didn't hire me right away, but two months later, uh, I packed up and came.
1: So out. you just came down here initially on a whim. On a whim, like you—the career that you've built in this building—does it? Ever, do you ever sit back and just think about what that whim turned into?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've had—I mean, obviously there are people uh, like Ryan Seacrest, who uh, Casey Kasem, and people like mm-hmm. that who have had really remarkable careers, but mine has been unusual because I've never been unemployed a day. So that's forty-nine years of continuous.
1: Work. Well, if I <laughs> were, business. I mean, if you could ever name uh, a, a Ryan Seacrest or a, or a Dick Clark or, or someone in this particular market, yeah. who, I mean, Ty Boyd's the only other person I can think of uh, that is just, to me, I told Ty when he was he was in here. I said uh, you you were like Howard Stern uh, before Howard Stern, only in the sense not not the content, but in the sense that you're kind of king of all media. I yeah, mean, he was. You you have like Ty in this era. Uh, there's nobody that's done what you've done, uh, especially in this building on all three stations.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, you,
1: and I produced
2: uh, Louis Grisard's TV special for uh, Jefferson Productions. I didn't. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I I've worked. Uh, that was, do you know who he is, Louis Grizzard? Oh, yeah. He's the writer? We, yeah. So Louis, uh, I wanted to do a TV special and run it in TV stations throughout the South. So uh, finally got him to come up here, and we went over to that uh, restaurant that Cully Tarleton used to own in Fourth Ward. I forget the name of it. And uh, Louis was a heavy drinker. And so he's throwing, in the middle of the day, he's throwing down uh, vodka and orange juice, heavy. He walks out of the restaurant with the glass in his hand. And we're about to come here. Mm -hmm. And the bartender comes running out because that's against the law. And the two of them got in a fistfight in the middle of the street. And (laughs) all 148 pounds of me had to separate these two
1: guys. (laughs) And you were how old at this point? Uh, I was in my
2: thirties. Thirties. <laughs> yeah, I forget exactly where.
1: Well, I mean, uh, and and uh, the point of this particular podcast, I want to get into the WBT years, but um, and I was going to bring this idea up later, but really, I was thinking about it earlier today. There is nobody who has come in and dominated on all three. I I know we have uh, uh, WFNZ now, but in the 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 heyday of JP, mm-hmm. the trifecta was TV, AM, mm-hmm. and FM. Them, right? That's right. Uh, it was WBT-AM, FM. Uh, FM became WBCY for a, a stretch but and, and different names, but you had the TV station and the two radio stations. There's nobody else that's ever worked in this building that has been prominently featured on all three of those entities and had great success. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I was actually
2: on BT in mornings and on PM Magazine mm-hmm. in the evening for about... Uh, maybe a little less than a year, and then I just I just couldn't handle it anymore because we were. They'd fly me in a helicopter somewhere to Myrtle Beach to do two days there. And then I have to be back here Monday morning at 5 Mm a.m. And and I finally just went
1: to Cully and I said, I can't do it all. Pause that because I want to get to that point. But I want to make sure we we hit the the high notes uh, chronologically here because, uh, you know, Ty, I love Ty. Uh, uh, God rest his his soul. He he was part of this. He was the very first one of these Century podcasts that I did. But as far as I know, Ty never did uh, FM, did he? No, 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 no. You know, obviously he was a a legend on TV and on radio, but that's why you've always fascinated me. And you and I haven't uh, talked that much over the years. It's weird because we've been, you know, a few feet from each other for many years uh, while I've done uh, or been involved with the morning show. But uh, that's another reason why I've been so looking forward to this is because um, I, I, from afar, I kind of keep my head down and do my thing where Mm -hmm. I am. But uh, you've always been just one of the guys I look at and go, that's how it's done.
2: Well, that is so nice of you. I think we didn't hang out very much because I'm, I'm, that's my fault. I'm i uh, I'm an introvert. Well, and it takes me a while with people and, and then I'm your friend, unless I'm your
1: enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a few of those here. Well, I mean, you and I see, see all each other in the hall and say yeah, hello and all yeah. oh, that's fine. But, right. but, you know, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I get behind the microphone and I, I come to life, but off the air, I'm, I'm very introverted.
2: Yeah. A lot of radio people are
1: that way. And I, I kind of like it that way, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me roll back a little bit here. So you talked about coming down to WBT on a whim. Right. Anything else in the pre—like like when you were—you talked about your how you, you first got interested in radio, but was was radio in your head as a young kid? Was it like, yeah. I want to be a radio broadcaster when I grow up?
2: Yeah, I, I had this garage band in Connecticut, and we actually had a recording uh, contract. I don't mention the name of the band or anything. I don't want people um, (laughs) diving too much with uh, everything on the Internet these days. It's embarrassing. But I was friends with uh, some people on WPOP in Hartford. Yeah. And uh, not really friends, but they let me hang out. I'm 15 years old. And uh, one of them was Lee Baby Sims. And Lee Baby Sims was the first totally irreverent disc jockey that I ever ever heard on the air, mm-hmm. and the Hartford Market was fantastic. There was Joey Reynolds on one station, uh, DRC, and uh, and Lee Baby, and they went at, went at each other at night. The really funny guys during that period were on at night. They were not on in the morning. So that was kind of a peek into what radio was, and then I heard a guy, and he kind of changed my life. Two guys did, actually. And I... I Got to talk with them briefly. One was a guy named Larry Glick, who did an all-night talk show on WBZ in Boston.
0: Hello, Gene. Yeah, hi, Larry. Hi, Gene. How are you? Let me check. <whistles> Not bad, thank you. First-time caller. First time. You know what you get?
2: Yep. What? A round of applause. A round of applause to make you feel welcome. Nice to have you with us, George. Thank you. There was no politics. It was just Larry Glick. G- guy was, I don't know, World War II sort of generation guy. And he was so natural. He was so funny. He would do stuff that I've never heard before. Like if somebody was annoying, this is like at 3 o'clock in the morning, if somebody was annoying, he'd go, Harry, can you see your radio from where you are? Look over at your radio. And then he'd have a sound effect of a gun, <laughs> and the guy, the guy would be gone. Now, you, I, you couldn't do that today right. with, with the problem with guns in this yeah. country. <laughs> but he, he would just have characters on and I'm doing middays. H and I were splitting middays. He was on 10 to 1, and I was like, I think, 1 to 4, the greatest hours of my life. And I went to the program director, and I said, I, I want to give up this cushy time slot. I, I want to do uh, 9 to 1 a.m., mm-hmm. and I want to do talk. And they never had a talk show on WBT. It was the first telephone talk show. And I copied Larry Glick right down to everything, but the look at the radio with the gun. I mean, I copied this guy.
1: Now, now, have you ever met him? In years since, on the phone. Okay, I, I I
2: interviewed him on the phone, and he didn't say it, but I sensed that he knew that I was a protege. He was he was very nice to me, and uh, I mean, I was shaking when I uh, when I interviewed him. The other guy was um, a guy named Gene Shepard. Uh, If you remember the movie A Christmas Story. Yeah. So Gene Shepard was on radio in New York City on WOR, 45 minutes a night, five nights a week, with all new material every single night. Those, those stories, like the Red, uh, r- red uh, Rider, uh, the BB, BB gun, gun. Yeah. He'd, he'd have this in Indiana thing going every night. He'd, and he'd comment about, you know, what's going on in the world, but it was the stories and the way that he told them.
1: And that's where the movie came from, That's right? where the
2: movie came from. What? The name of the book was um, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. The story is called Duel in the Snow, Red Rider. Nails the Cleveland Street (laughs) Kid.
1: and they, they
2: just pulled... Henry interviewed him
1: once. Yeah, well, I found out about what you're talking about when I was working with Keith Larson about 15 years ago, because Keith obsessed on that movie. And I, I, I'm i a fan of that movie, but I didn't know the origins of it. Yeah. And then uh, he turned me on to those actual old uh, radio tapes of Gene Shepard. Yeah. And now, I mean, I think there's a, there's a... I, I'd be willing to, to bet that uh, the majority of people out there who are who say they are fans of that movie have no idea that it came they don't. from that. And there's a whole reservoir of of, of other stuff yep. you know, that you could go back and, and listen to. And it's radio. It's and, awesome. And
2: he did a PBS uh, series, too, yeah, for, uh, for public television, which was very, very good. Um, he was just the best storyteller I've ever heard. And I'm nowhere near him. But I sort of combined the two of those guys and over the years became whatever personality i became
1: well you became a, a a multifaceted one i i i can think of you growing up in charlotte i was born and raised here mm-hmm. and haven't ventured far um, you know, I can think of you in, in three different entities. I mean, you know yeah, what I'm talking about. But sure. I want to. So you came to Charlotte on a whim. Right. You didn't. You didn't know you had a job. Right. Uh, but you did shortly after. So let's talk about Bob Lacey uh, starting out at this place that at the time seemed like the Taj Mahal uh, of, of radio. Right. I walked in. I was. I mentioned
2: I got hired the day I turned 22. This is no hyperbole. I walked through the door, and the first person I saw was Fred Kirby.
0: Buzzing of the bees in the honeycomb trees Near the soda water fountain
2: And near he had honey- on the red shirt with the fringe, the white pants, the... Uh, in the
0: big rock candy
2: Cowboy boots, the, hat, the white hat, and he was just standing there. I think a group of people had come, and, and they just left him, and he was just standing there. And he's got the guns on. I don't know who the hell this guy is. <laughs> I mean, this this is an older man dressed like Gene Autry, you know, I mean, it, or it Porter almost, Wagner. Almost
1: sounds like like <laughs> when you came through the door on the outside, the horse was 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 by just the door. Just about, to the <laughs> yeah,
2: just about. So you know, I was I just stopped, and he looked over at me, and I'm looking at his guns, and uh, he goes, "Well, stranger, I just want you to know these guns." Only shoot love <laughs>
0: how
2: we love the little rascal little rascal little and i rascal. thought did i take acid last night or you know what the hell is this place <laughs> and what a sweet man
0: love the little rascals, little rascals,
1: What a really sweet man uh, so, so the first person you saw Or remember seeing when you came through These doors was Fred Kirby, Fred Kirby. <laughs> Well in some ways that's very fitting Though isn't it? It was yeah. yeah I mean it just kind
2: of set up what a Really unique Place this was when I look back and I think I, I have an album by Lunis McGloon that I play mm-hmm. my wife and I'll have A cocktail and I'll and I'll play um, it, it's, it's actually on Spotify I'll play that once in a while He's uh, Lunas in London And he was the most amazing man I, if, if there is a young person listening And you're around somebody Who is a Interesting, talented person I know you have a busy life But stop and ask them About their lives I wish I had just
1: taken him out to dinner A, a dozen times Because he played Carnegie Hall so I have to tell you that uh, this room we're sitting in right now has been renovated several times over the years. I- I've right. seen it renovated twice. You've probably <laughs> seen it more than me. But uh, I have a memory sitting in here one day when I was in high school. I came in to engineer an interview right. that Lunas was doing with uh, some very re- renowned music person because right. he right. was too. Right. But to your point, uh, I remember sitting in here one day just just watching him. And uh, thinking, knowing enough because people like Henry Bogan and Mike Collins and et cetera had told me right. uh, how big a deal this guy was. Well, you had to know jazz, really,
2: yeah. to know a lot of the people he was friends with mm-hmm. or uh, recorded with. And jazz is the least popular, popular music, unfortunately, that there is. Um, but I was in the, uh, the, the the other studio where the uh, sports guys are now, and I was on at night, and uh to get to the production room you had to go through the studio <laughs> and the door flies open and lunas has got a man by the hand and uh quickly i picked up uh oh, that guy's blind wow uh, and lunas said hey bob uh, i hate to bother you here this bob this is george sharing <laughs> and wow. i didn't know a lot about jazz but i damn well knew that this is the greatest <laughs> jazz pianist in new york and i thought wow
1: i am really in a special place. So uh, I guess Bob Lacey uh, goes to Tweetsie and has weird, weird (laughs) flashbacks that most people do. Because see, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tweetsie Railroad, which still exists back in the day, you would walk in and Fred Kirby would be standing there uh, greeting people as they came in.
2: You know what the story behind the story there is? I
1: don't. That's why we're doing this.
2: (laughs) Tweetsie, when it opened up, Fred is the biggest thing. Uh He's on TV Every afternoon with the kiddie show with cartoons and Jim yeah. Patterson is his psychic and all that. He's everybody I, I don't know how he got through the week because he couldn't possibly go anywhere without being recognized. So Tweetsie, this is the legend, and maybe, you know, somebody that runs it now could say that it's wrong, but I don't think it is. They wanted him so badly they were going to give him a percentage of Tweetsie.
1: The gate. Owners, oh, ownership. Ownership. Okay.
2: <laughs> or, figure could be wrong, 200 bucks a week. Or <laughs> guess what he took
1: <laughs> 200 bucks a week. Yes, that's right. That's that's how we are. That's people, people in radio and TV. Uh, we love cash. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. OK, so uh, Fred Kirby's the first guy that you see. But what, you talked about the building and, and kind of the backdrop. Who was who was on the air when you first. Ty
2: Boyd, Ty Boyd. He was very intimidating because he was so professional. I had never worked with anybody that uh, filled in on the CBS uh, radio network, Mm -hmm. as an example. Ty, these are Ty's words. I'm not the cleverest guy on the air. He said that at a staff meeting once, and Don Russell said, Boy, you got that right. (laughs) Which I went, huh, oh. Don.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, that's, a whole nother, that's a whole other podcast. That's another one. Don Russell uh, at, at meetings, because I, I did get to uh, be around for a few of those.
2: But, uh, yeah, he was he was so professional, um, it was overwhelming, because he would fly out, do one of these uh, motivational speeches in Cleveland or somewhere, and then fly in, you know, Sunday night at midnight, sleep here, and get up and do the show. You could only do that for so long. Uh, and his real money was in the speeches.
1: So he really was, I don't know
2: how many years Ty was on, 10, something like he that? He was
1: on uh, 19, uh, what did he say, 1961 to 1973. Right. So a little over a decade.
2: Yeah. So so you had uh, you had Ty Boyd, and then you had uh, a guy whose name escapes me right, right now, Jack something. And then Dick Taylor, I think, was, fi- Dick Taylor came in. And he was the voice of WBT uh, commercials. He did five till six o'clock in the morning, one hour. Uh-huh. That that poor guy got up at four o'clock in the morning, Lake <laughs> Wiley, do one hour. I wouldn't do that. And then at night.
1: <laughs> See, now he could do a show from Lake Wiley. Yeah, he could. Never yeah. have to
2: leave. Yeah. At night, the uh, radio personality was uh, a guy you may have heard of, Billy Graham. Mm. <laughs> I've heard of him a few times. Yeah. <laughs> And the Billy Graham hour was on at night, and it had been on for years. So is this the, the hour of decision? Is that what I think okay. I I don't know if they called it that. It may have been something else that he was doing yeah. and syndicating, but it was Billy Graham every single night. So when I talked them into going on at night, I replaced Billy Graham. And let me tell you, that first week was
1: not fun. <laughs> What's that old phrase about? I don't want to be the guy. I want to be the guy, the guy who replaces, replaces the, the guy. guy. That's
2: the Ty Boyd thing, yeah, with uh, <laughs> with Grady. And,
1: and if it's Billy Graham, you probably want to be a few more down. A few more down the, down road. the road.
2: Oh my God! And um, I, I don't remember what I was saying, but um, I was riffing on something. And I was going, well, this guy is complete jackass. I can tell you that uh, this not not Billy Graham, but I was referring to somebody in politics. He's what a jackass this guy is. And the phone lights up and there's this elderly woman who goes. She goes, I just heard you on the radio and I'm crying, but I'm going to pray for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you it cry, <laughs> crying, laughing, or, or crying? No, crying. no, crying, yeah. Crying, <laughs> crying, yeah, crying crying. crying, crying, yeah.
2: And that was a fun. I mean, I just loved doing that show. I did it for a couple of years.
1: So when you got here, you weren't here explicitly to do mornings or nights. You were just here to do something that you hoped would would develop?
2: I didn't want to do middays because the midday guy never gets a chance to really do much. You know, you're Mm. you're moving commercials and blah, blah, blah. And I I don't think I was right for morning drive. Hell, I was 22 years old. But I had this thing with Larry Glick's show in the back of my mind. And uh, after about a year, I I talked them into doing it. I don't know. I would never give a 23 year old uh, a four hour talk show. I mean, that's that's just crazy.
1: So, so this gets us to uh, Lacey Listens. This is the mm-hmm. first telephone talk show, uh, at least in these parts, mm-hmm. that anyone had ever heard and anyone had ever tried. At least on this station. I don't know about the other stations, but okay. I, don't, I don't think it, it was around very much, no. And, um, was this idea yours, or did uh, the programming department or the director say, this would be great for you, why don't you try oh, it? Oh, no, 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 it was mine. Okay. I, I had to talk him into it.
2: And, uh, you know, they were very upset because uh, the Billy Graham thing, you know, was making them some money. And they go, who's this kid? Um, But it worked. I was showing up in Jacksonville, Florida ratings. Wow. I was number one, 12 plus at night. Now, it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm not. Because there were only 12 radio stations that meant anything in Charlotte back then.
1: But this is also, uh, people talk about the legend of the... Uh, 50,000 watts in the Canada to Cuba, this is what we're talking about. Right. Uh, this is WBT and stations like it, the few ones that are like it across the uh, the country, right. uh, are syndicated because, not because you have gone out and, and, and said, I'm going to be on all these various stations, it's because the station, the, the mothership can be picked up in all of these places when the small stations turn off at night.
2: Exactly. So I, I would get off the air at 1 o'clock and drive home listening to the aforementioned Larry Glick on WBZ in mm-hmm. Boston's Clear Channel Station coming out of Boston. They had the same format on KDKA in Pittsburgh all night. They were um, where what I wanted to do was to go to uh, Los Angeles. And uh,
1: so that was the end goal. Like when yeah. you, you got here, yeah. you, you viewed Charlotte as a, as a, a step along the way.
2: I did. And I'll tell you why. Um, I grew up in the restaurant business. My father had a restaurant. I was serving, you know. When I was 12 years old, Charlotte has a fantastic restaurant scene right now and a great bar scene. There was no liquor by the drink. I've never seen a city this size with crappier food <laughs> and really no hotels. No hotel wanted to be here because they couldn't have a bar. Right. So I, I thought, let's get out of here and, uh, and go, to, go to L.A. And so a guy on the station I wanted to work for on L.A. died on the air on the old night show. On the air. On the air. Holy cow! And I gave it about a week, and I called the program director Biggie Nevins up, and I introduced myself. And he said, "I know who you are." I said, "You do? How do you know who I am?" He said, uh, "We were thinking about hiring you, and we asked uh, one of our, one of your competitors, WSOc, to get some tape, and they just never did." <laughs>
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've
2: hated them ever since.
1: <laughs> now, uh, I'm, I'm better off here. God knows what would have happened. Well, look, uh, I have some tape from all these different eras. Uh, I did my homework here. I wanted to have you in here, and so mm-hmm. I want to get some reaction to some of this. And this, this speaks right here to the era we're talking about.
0: WBT, Bob
3: Lacey. Let's take another call. WBT, you're on the air. Almost dropped it, Cleo. Hello?
0: Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. How you doing?
3: Mighty fine. Portland, Oregon calling you.
0: Portland, Oregon. Portland,
3: Oregon. I, we don't get out there.
0: You're right. Jr. said, turn your radio off. I said, you dummy, you think I'm getting WBT in Portland,
3: Oregon? You dummy, you think you're getting WBT in Portland, Oregon? <laughs> I just told him. What's your name?
0: This is Brian McMurray. I'm from Rock Hill, South Carolina.
3: Brian McMurray? Yeah. Uh, what do you, uh, Now, tell me the story, Brian. How come you're calling my show from Portland, Oregon?
0: Well, uh, we're not out here looking for
1: Bigfoot, as you right. might think. Right. So that uh, was yeah. from the Lacey listens there yeah it was just a bunch of foolishness all night long what what do you think of when you hear that
2: um one of the happiest times of my life um the people that you were able to get in radio back then it was really pretty amazing one night i got a uh the receptionist uh said there's someone here to see you named may axton and i went are you kidding me what does she look like she (laughs) said she's an older woman and her name is may axton That's the woman who wrote Heartbreak Hotel Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things. And so I had her um, on the show. And then Tanya Tucker, her father brought her in here after a show in Charlotte. She was 15. Three hours with Tanya Tucker. I was was able to get stuff like that. Now, there were some other times that were a little dicey. There was no fence around this building. And there was a security guard, a little tiny guy named Harold. And he's on the all-night thing. And I'm interviewing a guy called the Carnival Man. Carnival Man. He travels all around the country uh, with carnival games. And so he's really interesting. That's the kind of guy I want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Like, what's it like in New Orleans, you know, when, when you're running a carnival in New Orleans, all of this? Well, he had just screwed a guy out at $2,000 in Greensboro. And the guy's listening. And he hears the Carnival Man's voice. And he gets in his car and... At 11 o'clock at night, gets here about quarter of one in the morning. Old Weird Harold let him in the building. (laughs) I'm coming out ready to wrap it up with the carnival man, and the guy pulls a knife on me, puts it right in my stomach. I mean, he didn't shove it in, but he he had it, and just the language was unbelievable. Tom uh, Miller, who was the all-night country guy then watched through the window what was going on and the guy the guy is really getting verbally violent to say nothing of the knife and tom keyed the mic and went don dennis don we need you over here right now don dennis was the biggest cop in the charlotte police department uh-huh. in 30 seconds he was there with his partner running down the hall and uh, disarmed the guy
1: <laughs> Well, it shows you the power of uh, of the station. Yeah, back <laughs> the police were listening. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, there's the police scanner, and then there's WBT. I guess
2: it was it was a wonderful time, and uh, I'll always be in debt to WBT for letting uh, you know a kid basically practice speaking and telling stories.
1: Well, and, and here's the thing. I mean, Henry Bogan is a, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's synonymous with this radio station and was here from 79 to, uh, to what, 1996. But you set the table for Henry Bogan. You, if, if you had not done what you did, there'd be no Hello, Henry show.
2: No, there wouldn't have been because no, nobody was thinking that way. They, the management, they were not up at you know, 1 o'clock in the morning listening to out-of-town radio stations. And when I left to go over to the morning drive show, they killed it. For uh, a few ha- years. Yeah, right? for a few years. And then they
1: realized that, you know, that was really working out pretty good. Well, what, well okay, so uh, before I move on to the morning show, because I want to talk about that for a little bit, uh, you, you were on at night doing the talk thing, and there was no music there, right? Just no, you none. taking phone calls. Right. Uh, now, during the day, there was music. There was a lot of music, and even and it was at a time where music was, the music of the station was changing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was referred to—today it would be called AC, Adult Contemporary. Back then, (laughs) it was uh, in a derogatory manner called Chicken Rock. (laughs) So it was basically, on the hard end, the Doobie Brothers, and on the soft end, uh, Olivia Mm Newton-John. And in between, a lot of oldies, and then the Sunday Night Hall of Fame was started with a guy named Mike Ivers, and then Rock and Ray, of course, God rest his soul. So it it, was—I think, like, every third song was like an oldie. And then the A's and B's were softer rock hits.
1: So you... Have a great time doing nights. Uh, you, you basically start a new format or a sub format on this radio station and in, the, in this area. And y- like I said, you are you are Hello Henry at least his his style not his style but his type of show before uh, Hello Henry got here. Right. Right. Uh, they wouldn't have had the thought to bring in Hello Henry or anybody to do a show if you'd not set the table for that. But then we're looking back and there's there's Grady Cole, mm-hmm. there's Ty Boyd. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, there's there was H A for a tiny little sliver of that. I, I, I make H.A. the third, but uh, whatever
2: anybody wants to say. Uh, I had no interest in doing that. I, I, had, I did not go in and say, you know, I want to be the morning man. Um, H. got the uh, award as the most popular DJ in America or something like that uh-huh. when he moved over to Middays. That was, that was his slot. That's where he was really at his best. But B.T. was feeling the heat in the morning at that point with Jay Thomas. And so um, they looked around, and then they looked within, and they said, we'd like you to do it. Did you initially want to do it? No. No, Not at all because of the hours? I walked out of the meeting and and said, I I don't want it. No, not because of the hours. I mean, the money was uh, chicken feed compared to what Jay Thomas was getting. So I said, I'd rather stay on at night. And then they brought me back in again and gave me a little bit more money, and uh, we were off to the races.
1: So you head to the mornings now. In the beginning, were you solo, or cause, because because yeah. we had to bring Har- Harold Johnson into this
2: con- conversation? Yeah. Oh, Harold was a big part of uh, my morning experience, and a big part of the success of the uh, show. Uh, the two of us just instantly bonded. I don't know why, because he was older than I was. He's a different rhythm from me. Maybe that's why it worked. How did you mean? But him? I was solo. I can't even remember. Yeah, I think he was doing weekends uh, sports
1: because people uh, you know who are a bit younger mm-hmm. remember him as channel nines right uh, sports anchor you you went to TV and so so did Harold right uh, different stations and in different uh, uh, you know jobs there you didn't do sports you did PM magazine which we'll get to but Harold Johnson before he did he became the big guy on right. channel 9 uh, was with you in the morning he Good morning, Show, How are
3: you? It's 21 minutes before 8 o'clock here on WBT. Time now for off-the-wall news. True news stories. One of our executives gave me this. It comes from a political magazine, and this is absolutely true, folks. has to do with HEW. Now, Harold, you may find it difficult to believe this report on bureaucratic insanity in the nation's capital, but it's if true. If Califano's running it, I can believe it. Go easy on, Joe. Jeez. The Department of Health, Education, and Welfare recently ordered the public schools in Bellevue, Washington, to start spanking equal numbers of boys and girls or lose a million dollars in federal education aid. Corporal punishment administered to students by teachers was approved by the Bellevue community in 1973. However, the schools were named in a complaint to HEW which said that more boys than girls were being spanked, and therefore, sex discrimination was involved. (laughs) Mm. HEW studied the situation for several years and concluded on the basis of the actual number of boys versus girls spanked, the situation was discriminatory. And, And he then ordered the schools to start spanking equal numbers of girls and boys. In addition, the schools must submit a plan to HEW uh, detailing how they intend to go about implementing the order.
0: What, <laughs> well, now, what you're saying here, if you spank Freddy for throwing a spitball, uh-huh. you got to spank Sandy for watching. That's exactly you yeah. that. Sandy
3: would just be sitting there going, <laughs> dr- drawing, drawing a buffalo or
0: something. <laughs> Sandy, come <laughs> here. You're up. Your turn. <laughs> what did I do? What?
3: <laughs> Freddy did it. You're paying for it. Oh, that stinks. Uh, I'm <laughs> irate. Yeah, calm down now. Oh, shit. Isn't that wild though, huh? That's right. That's all they have to do up there all day. They were going to lose a million dollars. So the wild part is that they, they have to have a plan to... They have to uh, have a plan. detailing how they're going to implement this spanking. <laughs> I say keep their money up there.
0: Uh, raise local taxis. Uh, we don't need their money. Hey, don't get into this. I just wanted a few laughs here this morning, cuz. Well,
3: oh, we don't need their money.
0: Uh,
2: that's
1: the heyday of uh, you and Harold, yeah,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he didn't have the one-liner there. I always thought he was a lot funnier than I was. He's, he's one of the funniest people I've ever known. You, you notice he took a, a shot at a politician in Washington. Harold was very political. He, he, he kept it to himself. But when Reagan came to town, he arranged to be the MC, <laughs> And he went a little early to where Reagan was going to speak. And there was nobody in the ballroom. I think it was the Radisson Hotel. And he looked at who was sitting where. And uh, he was like five down from Reagan. And he took whoever was next to Reagan's card and switched it.
1: (laughs) He ended up next to Reagan. And it worked. And it worked. And
2: it worked. Yeah, he was a delight to work with.
1: And he uh, went on, uh, among other things, uh, after his TV career, he ran for office.
2: He did. Yeah, um, so
1: he became a politician. He did. Uh, it's interesting. So I want to. So we just played a clip from uh, I don't know. I would guess that's somewhere 76, 77, That somewhere time up range. around there. Yeah. So yeah. let's fast forward to uh, nineteen ninety two. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. this is actually you on the seventieth anniversary, uh, talking with Maura Quinn, and uh, I think yeah, you have an idea who probably called into the show that day.
0: People today, I get hundreds of phone calls. I have voicemail. It's maxed out every day at fifty. Rush Limbaugh thinks he gets a lot of calls. People always ask me, Harold, who writes your material for? You're so funny on Channel 9. Yeah. And I have to be honest, and Bob Lacey, folks, Bob is still writing a lot of yeah. my funny material. Yeah,
3: I'm still not getting paid for it either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <It's> just... <laughs> well, hey, it's the privilege of put it on the air. Harold,
3: Harold let, let me tell, if, if you all are wondering what it was like working with Harold Johnson, <laughs> two very quick stories. Harold and I are speaking over at the uh, Sheraton. And uh, we're the after-dinner speakers, and there's 300 people there. Harold has me paged, and uh, generally I would get up and say something, then Harold would get up and say something, then we'd both talk together to this group. So Harold has me page, and I go out to the lobby, and I said, yes, yes, there's nobody there. Well, while I was away, he stands up in front of 300 people and says, no matter what he says, when he's on, don't laugh. <laughs> no matter what he says, and, and look a little grim after two or three lines. And, and they- then when I get up, no matter what I say, go wild. So I get up there, and I throw out a line, and people are looking at me like I'm an undertaker. I throw out, th- I say, boy, this is a tough crowd. I throw out the best thing I've got. Now they're moving around in their seats, you know? He gets up, brings out some Henny Youngman line from 1916. The place goes wild. (laughs) People are stopping. I go,
0: it was all Johnson. I have nothing. Bob, I have a confession to make, and that's been 12 years ago. As a result of you being, as a result of you bombing so badly, I got the check for both of us, and I kept Did it you? all.
3: I figured it. It doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. And the, and, the, and the other time, we're watching, we're watching uh, television, and uh, this doggone gorilla down in, in the zoo in Atlanta, Willie, Willie, Willie the gorilla. Somebody stole his television. He used to like to watch TV. So I'm on the air, and it's 8:16 uh, on WBT. Harold says we're going to give away a Queen City TV from Woody Player to the gorilla. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, my eyes get real big. Uh, Woody Player bought into it. Harold and I flew down to Atlanta to the zoo, gave the gorilla the, the TV, and correct me if I'm not wrong, and Walter Cronkite did the kicker piece on CBS. He stuff.
0: did. That's exactly right. Walter did the picture. They had the picture of the gorilla, me and you, and people were calling up and saying which one was who? the gorilla. Yeah, right. <laughs> great.
1: It was right. great. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you keep in touch with Harold? Do you talk to him?
2: Uh, the simple answer is No. When his wife passed away, she she, uh, died young. This had to be, oh, boy, 12 years ago, something like that. I went to the funeral, and um, I waited until everybody left, and then he came out. And we hadn't seen each other for, for years, and we had a wonderful conversation, and we would often talk about maybe playing golf together. He is the most private person that I've ever known. Um, it's just the way he likes it Mm -hmm. he uh, he lives in a smaller town outside of charlotte and uh in the same house uh that his kids were brought up in as far as i know he still lives there but uh no we don't and it's it's weird
1: well and, and you're an interesting uh study at least from my standpoint because you have uh you had harold johnson and one very uh memorable era of your broadcast career. Then you had Mara Quinn yeah. on TV, and mm-hmm. then you obviously have Sherry Lynch now. Right, right. So, um, I mean, look, I, I've been in radio uh, my entire professional life now. Uh, it's not often that a lot of people find anybody. They click that well with uh, once in their career.
2: No, that's very true. And, and uh, with the late night talk show, I had a guy named uh, Tom Miller, and I would hang around and do his show, too. I just work well with certain personalities once I get to know them. I, I just that probably is the only gift I have. I know how to fit in with the right person. Now we had a couple of people that uh, they paired with me, and it just did not work, and I had to get rid of them. And uh, along came Sherry Lynch. I, I, I don't need to uh, push you there, but Mora um, was a delight to work with. She's one of the smartest people I've ever known. Uh, she could shoot. She could produce, write, and didn't even want the PM Magazine on-air job. She wanted the photographer's job. Really? But they said, you pair physically with the guy that we have, and you're good enough to do it. You can do it. And so she ended up doing nine years.
1: Well, and, and I'll, I I want to get to uh, what made you decide to leave radio and go into TV very successfully a little bit later, but I want to stay with uh, the morning show here. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Harold. Uh, I want to talk about that era because uh, when you when you got to mornings, you initially said you didn't want to do it necessarily, but then you got there and you got the, the hang of it and the rhythm of it, and then you started to love it, right? Yeah, you know, it's a tough, tough—I think the expression
2: is— It's a hard way to make an easy living uh, because you're up that early, okay, and you've got to be on, and you've got people across the street from you that just want to tear your head off. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jay Thomas uh, was a formidable, uh, may he rest in peace, formidable. Competitor, and he was moving that station, which now is in this building. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that, that's the, the irony of thing. ironies. Yeah, right? he was moving that ahead of everybody, and they they told me, they said, "You got to get him."
1: So, for people who who don't know, just for context, Bob's talking about uh, at that time what was six ten or sixty one Big Ways, right? W a y s and, and W B T and 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 Big Ways duked it out for many years. Now, did you have? Um, I mean, Jay Thomas has passed away uh, fairly recently. Did you have a relationship with him after you all battled on the air all those years? No, no. As a
2: matter of fact, he would do. Uh, he was doing satellite radio for a while um, in this building. Uh-huh. Just the building did him a favor. I don't know why. Um, we did not have a cordial relationship, and it was because of one instance that I'm just going to let,
1: let let it be. You know,
2: I'm going to let it be. Okay. Yeah, it was just one thing that to me was kind of unforgivable, and so. Um,
1: no, fair enough. I just, yeah. I just was curious because, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, you get in these battles, especially in radio and in broadcasting, and those those morning battles, like you say, I mean, that's that's the th- that's where uh, it gets the most vicious because it, it
2: was fifty percent of the income of the radio station. Yeah, fifty percent. Now things worked out because uh, I had a twenty six share, so like one out of four people plus listening to the radio was were listening to me. Now that said. Again, there were only 12 stations, and there was probably only three or four players in the morning, and uh, I won.
1: Well, and, and they brought you in, as you say, initially to do something else, but they said this is the guy that's going to put our mornings back on the map. And so what was it that you did? Like, why would you say the rating that you just talked about, what was it about what you did that clicked and worked? Well, I
2: looked at what WBT was, and I looked at what um, was available Resource wise for me, I looked at who the audience was and the audience was different on ways, or different on the country station. This was the community radio station. So you couldn't do things like go after Jim and Tammy. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't do things like going after certain politicians because Cully was eventually going to run for politics, and he, he was not going to have any of that. So you had to find a way, like the thing that I did that you played of uh, spanking the boys and girls. Mm-hmm. It had to be something that really didn't offend uh, local people. Uh, now, when Imus came along and, and, uh, and other shock jocks, that went out the window. But in polite society in Charlotte, North Carolina back then, you, you had to find your humor somewhere else, and I knew how to do that. I just, I knew how to be that guy, and uh, I got lucky. And then when Harold came along, I mean, the repartee that we had, uh, it, it, it was just so much easier.
1: I found uh, another piece of tape the other day that uh, it's very short and sweet, but uh, this was, uh, uh, well, I mean, they still do this event today.
3: WBT and Carowinds present Sky Show 76.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the bicentennial year, yeah, yeah, and the very first Sky Show, and uh, we still do Sky Show on July 4th, and it's obviously become a, a, a big institution uh, in the city. But uh, that was your voice on the on the initial soundtrack
2: yeah. to the fireworks. Well, I was the MC of the first three, and that was a. Uh, it it was wonderful when you were doing morning drive back then we had some great radio personalities like dick durani and mike ivers and these other guys but the morning guy because of grady cole and then ty was the face of the radio station i mean my face was all as bad as it is all over charlotte on billboards and my girlfriend at the time mary mcmillan uh she and i basically were running the creative services department mostly her but uh I, i would come up with some ideas too and so they made me the host of Sky Show. And it was the biggest traffic jam I have ever seen in my life when that thing stopped. The first one. It crippled downtown Charlotte. It took people three hours to get home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Does it give you a, a sense of any kind of pride when you hear Sky Show 2021? Uh, yeah. Like, like we had this summer? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I love that this was the station that originated that. And um I also really loved the fact that we were tight with WBTV. I mentioned uh, going up against uh, the morning competitors. They had an advantage because they could combine an AM and an FM for their ratings. And I just had the AM. Mm -hmm. But I had WBTV. And I could go over there and say, do you have any slots open for, you know, freebie TV uh, spots for me? And then... I would write a TV commercial with Mary and we would go in there we it didn't cost us anything we would run it it didn't cost us anything and it was very helpful that was a big hammer
1: did you uh, get inspiration for any of that by seeing what Ty Boyd did in other words he did mornings here and then he went on to host top of the day and be involved mm-hmm. in with channel 3 and as he told me at the end uh, when we we had, we talked on the same podcast a few years ago he said uh, at the end I was I was sort of I was doing both, uh, right. and, and you became kind of a, a multifaceted broadcaster. Did, did you see? Uh, did you take any of your inspiration as far as going down the hall from what you saw him do, or where did that where no. did that come
2: from? No, just watching TV. Yeah, I mean, PM Magazine. There was nothing like it. It was the first uh, television show in this market where the uh, female anchor had as much power as the male. And I think that's why Sherry and I have worked well together, too, mm-hmm. because I never tried to be, you know, we've all heard these radio stations where there's the jerk, there's the, uh, the dummy, and then there's the girl that says, oh, stop it. And I didn't want any of that. And I think working with Mora and experiencing what a woman goes through in broadcasting uh, helped me to grow.
1: Was there so ever- there was
2: nothing. Ty had his own thing, and yeah. it wasn't anything I wanted.
1: Was there ever any talk about uh, having a female co-host in the in the BT morning show no, days?
2: Never, never. Yeah. I can honestly say that probably even with the uh, powerful women in this building, and there were a few, I never heard anybody say, you know, you need to have a female voice over there. It was just taken for, for granted that men
1: did that. You're talking about Ty Boyd, and you obviously had a relationship with him. Did you know Grady Cole?
2: No, no. I saw him once for, I think it was when they took the handoff from Ty to H.A., and they brought in Grady Cole for some sort of a thing. And um, I did not meet him. He was obviously an older man and hadn't been in this building, you know, in many, many years. And I also noticed that Ty was finding a way out of the room. Hmm. Because once, evidently, you got into Grady's orbit, you're going to be there a while. And, (laughs) And Ty... Ty always had a plane to catch.
1: (laughs) Ty had had plans. He had plans. (laughs) He had things on the itinerary. Well, it really is fascinating to me because when I asked Ty about Grady Cole... He sort of said the same thing. He said, mm-hmm. "I didn't really know him that well." No, and I, I, no. I would have thought that he would have had more uh, anecdotal stories about the guy. That I mean, because you know, he was the guy that replaced Grady Cole, right? And I've heard all the stories about Grady Cole, but um, I, I, I talked to H A. and H A. was on the air, I believe, the day that, that Grady Cole passed. He died mm-hmm. in a car accident. Mm-hmm. But uh, H A. remembered that day. Do you remember when that happened? No, no,
2: I don't remember when that happened at all. I I just have a sense with Grady Cole that. He He knew who he was and uh, that he was better known in this market than Bob Hope. And I think the idea that he was going to in any way let his memory, his light shine on a younger man who is now in that chair, I don't think he could allow himself to do that. I'm not I'm not busting on him. I'm just saying he was uh, he was that big. Everybody else he knew was going to be diminished.
1: Well, and, and uh, everybody else that I've talked to about Grady Cole uh, sort of has the same thing to say, that he was the man for so long. And then when his time was up, it's not like he came back like like, like H.A. Thompson does or you do sometimes coming back and, and talking to me like in a, in a, in right. a, in a retro sense. Right. Uh, there wasn't a lot of that with Grady Cole no. coming back and, and remembering the good old days. No,
2: it was almost like Carson. He was gone. He was yeah. gone. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, So uh, I got a couple of I got another clip here. And and so Harold did not stay with you all the way to the end of your tenure, did he? We both um,
2: started to get antsy. And um, it's a funny story with PM magazine. I'm doing morning drive and I walked out of the studio and Don Russell uh, was there. He said, hey, you should (laughs) go upstairs. They're taking auditions for this new show. And it's supposed to be really a hot new show. You should go upstairs. And I didn't even know. And he had auditioned. And they had, I think they had 40 guys, 45 guys. And so I went up, and I was the last guy. They were going to close down the camera uh, that afternoon. And uh, I went on, on camera, and um, they said, we'll get back to you. And two days later, they said, you're the guy. And Harold, I told Harold about it. And at that point, he made a call to Channel 9. Because they they were getting their butts kicked. It was Harold Johnson and a little bit Doug Mays, but mostly Harold Johnson that turned that turned that station around.
1: So this, uh, this would be circa 1980. Yeah. Sounds to me like Harold had already left because he's not in, in this particular clip. But this mm-hmm. was uh, right towards the end of your tenure at WBT. We should have an official
3: WBT correspondent down there at the license uh, place. And you report on how long the line is and everything. And one of the guys there, he could pick up my license for me. So uh, we asked the folks to call in now. Uh, We got a lot of calls. WBT at 26 after 8 o'clock on the Bob Lacey Good Morning Show. Let's go down now to our special correspondent, Dick Bennett, construction worker, now correspondent for Bob Lacey and WBT at the Motor Vehicle Department on Freedom Drive. Dick, come in if you can hear me. Bob, I hear you great. I've got this lady here
0: I was just talking to, uh, and she'll tell you how old she is and something about herself maybe. Okay, madam. Uh, I'm 72 years old.
3: Hi, hi, you're 72 years old, huh? Yes, I? I am. Yeah, how long have you been waiting in line, ma'am? Uh, since
0: I guess
1: about
3: 20 minutes after 7. 20, yeah, 72-year-old woman, the United States government is making wait in line. Friends, this is heartless as far That's as I can... It's terrible, con- isn't it? It is terrible, man. I'm, I'm behind you 100%. We need another way, don't we, ma'am? We
0: certainly
3: do. That's right. When a 72-year... You're a grandmother, aren't you? I'm
0: a great-grandmother.
3: You're a great-grandmother is what you are, and you're out there in the freezing cold standing in line for those license plates. Well, we congratulate you, man, and... An easier way next time is to get your own radio show.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you,
3: ma'am. Very good job there, Dick, and you still got my money for my tags, huh?
0: Bob, I got your money. There's no Good. problem on your money. Uh, I do
3: uh-huh. have several investors that I've talked to. Oh yeah, what do you mean and
0: by that? I have uh, huh? talked to one person that's he been here since 4:15 this morning. Oh wow! And I saw one lady back there that has her gloves on her toes. <laughs> uh, one lady told me that she wouldn't be this cold when she's dead. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Dick, an excellent report, good comedy from your part, and very precise reporting. 28 minutes now, after 8 o'clock is our time. Are we going to sports right now? We're going to commercials, then sports, right.
2: So as I understand it, you... uh... (laughs) I pay the guy my bad. there was a stunt and i guess
1: you couldn't do that today i don't think i think you you got to be the, the the actual guy there do you remember how it ended uh, i got it yeah so when you hear that i'm playing that that's uh, that's 1980 do yeah. you do you remember the bit when when i when i, I played back okay. yeah
2: i do um i i i don't know if i remember the other ones but i i did remember that one i think that we were recording at a slightly higher speed because my voice i know i was younger Uh, First, I don't think I've ever had that much energy in my (laughs) life. Not
1: not when I was a toddler. Uh, My voice sounded a little higher. Uh, I got a few more clips here. This one, uh, since we're uh, headed towards the TV range here, how about this? this jingle in your
2: sleep yeah i do (laughs) yeah that was that was a promo jingle there was a different jingle that opened the thing up it was an amazing period for me do you want to talk about p m magazine hey, yeah you know really?
1: let's let's talk about the transition to p m mm-hmm. magazine i want to make sure that i i, I, I get that part in here because uh, you were on uh w b t so the, the the heyday in the for lacey listens was was what uh, nineteen seventy three to seventy five right and then in seventy five through eighty yeah. you did mornings here right that's right And then you started to talk about what uh, I mean, have have we left anything uh, out of the the morning show years that uh, that that you think I haven't touched upon something that sticks with you?
2: It was just uh, a period where the station just represented Charlotte uh, across the board. No politics to speak of. It was the community station. People used to, if there was a storm, say they liked country music, they would leave that and come to WBT. And it probably is still uh, very much the same today. It was a warm, warm feeling. Everybody got along. I can't remember very much backstabbing. And the money was rolling in because we had numbers that were incredible. Uh, the ratings were just out of this world. I, I always thought, you know... That was a good time to be a general manager of a radio station because you, as Jim Babb once said, my main thing was how much of a radio buy do I want?
1: So let's, uh, before we get to TV, let, let's, let uh, I want to throw some names at you. Just get some uh, some some quick thoughts. Uh, you mentioned Jim Babb.
2: Yeah. Charles Crutchfield uh, was the uh, president of the uh, Jefferson Pilot when I came here and was this um, revered, legendary uh, broadcaster. Nixon offered him the FCC chairmanship, and he turned it down. Jim Babb, when Crutchfield retired, took over. And he's the most amazing leader because we had 15 properties, I guess, around the country, out in you know, Denver and uh, eventually San Diego. He knew everybody's name. If you worked in the mailroom in Denver, he knew your name. When he would come down here for lunch, this is the president of this company. There's an engineer sitting next to me with the meat and three vegetables. I'm I'm eating a hoagie. And here comes Jim Babb. And he sits down and uh, he says, how's it going today? How are you doing? You don't see that these days. About? That's the kind of man he was. He wanted everyone to know. I don't want to use the word this is a family because it's not a family. Uh, you have your own family. But he, you, you pretty well had to be caught red-handed stealing on Main Street at noon to get fired.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, Charles Crutchfield. How, yeah. how
2: well did you know Crutch? Not real well, but... <laughs> I don't think I've ever told this story before, um, so I'm, I'm you, doing. You look like you don't know if you want to. I, I do, <laughs> I do, but it, it reflects so nicely. What the hell? So it's uh, it's the Watergate period, and uh, I didn't like Nixon. I wasn't a political guy, and I didn't I didn't hit him on the air at all, but I didn't like him. But Crutchfield knew him, and uh, knew Billy Graham, and so. They put together Billy Graham Day with Richard Nixon as the speaker at the old Charlotte Coliseum, mm-hmm. Bojangles. And uh, everybody in the, in the company got tickets. And my aforementioned friend John Lambis got a pair, and, uh, and I, got, I got a ticket. And we got in his car and we went. So there are a lot of demonstrations that are anti-Nixon at this time all over the country. I mean, it's a pretty violent period. And um, I have on a suit and tie, my only suit. And I had hair probably just below my ears and a porn star mustache. (laughs) I just looked, looked awful. Because I just wanted to see a president speak, even, even if uh, I wasn't going to do anything.
1: Even if it was one you weren't a, a, yeah. especially a big fan of. It I was... thought it'd
2: be interesting and I could talk about it on the air. Yeah. So uh, we got close to the, uh, to the entrance and someone yelled, hold your tickets up. And I went right here. And I held it up. Somebody grabbed me. Somebody else grabbed me. Grabbed my friend John. There, there were um, what they used to call hippies demonstrating outside. Right. Had nothing to do with them. They grabbed us and they and I looked over and the guy had a pin on his lapel. And I went, this is either Secret Service or FBI. It's, it's something. And they grabbed me and grabbed John and a few others and threw us in this uh, line of police officers and then right out the door, threw us out of the building. I don't, I don't think I've ever been so pissed off in my life. And. A lawsuit ensued, and I joined it. So I sued. Again, Crutchfield knows Billy Graham. He's friends with him. Uh Richard Nixon, he's been offered the FCC chairmanship, was the rumor. So he's friends with him. Uh And I just sued Richard Nixon, (laughs) H.R. Haldeman, John Ehrlichman, the Secret Service, the Charlotte Police, along with a bunch of crazy hippies. And I, I went back to my then wife, and I said, I think we're going to be packing up the Volkswagen pretty (laughs) soon. And it made the CBS Evening News. Walter Cronkite read the story. And uh, I was called into court. And uh, right in downtown Charlotte, at the old one where Jim Baker was. And they put me up in the stand, and the uh, lawyer led, and he said, how'd you feel when you were thrown out? I said, like a stranger in my own country. (laughs) You know, really dramatic. <laughs> objection, objection, objection. The odd <laughs> We lost. Everybody <laughs> thought that I, because I was the cleanest cut guy that I might get 50 grand. <laughs> and I was very excited about that. But I was also f- just scared to death because I needed that job. Right. And uh, a note came down uh, from Charles Cutchfield that said, tell the young man his job is not in jeopardy. Wow. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs>
2: yeah. At that point, uh, we didn't become friends, but when he was in the hallway, he would come over and ask how things were going and, uh, you know, how my career was. And he remembered being on the air. He was a program director and all. I just had so much respect for that guy.
1: Well, uh, we could talk forever. I want to make sure I land this plane. Uh, when I told you I would, but I want to go through a few more names here. Uh, H.A. Thompson.
2: Yeah. Just one of the sweetest guys ever. And, uh, I don't want to use the word underrated because he's he's highly rated, but um, a a greater personality than I think he's given credit for. He really understands the audience, the audience that he had back then.
1: Don Russell,
2: Don is is such an interesting person, and Don uh, lived in in my house for a year. He and I uh, were sort of roommates. I was also staying elsewhere uh, occasionally but he he left here and then uh that didn't work out and he came back and he needed a place to stay and i thought he was one of the funniest people that i've ever known and i said stay here and a year later uh he was he was still there well and uh he and, and funny a talented guy I didn't even talk about what he does on the air very talented guy in the air
1: yeah, and and uh, I think maybe he ha- he's been hired here uh, more than any other. More than person. anybody else.
2: So that I mean that speaks well, and it's kind of the punchline with, when you say Don Russell. But Don Russell is uh, a lightning wit. I mean, he was yeah. He was probably the funniest guy on the station.
1: Well, and as you pointed out earlier, uh, on the air and off the air. I mean, yeah. uh, in, in meetings, he was oh, yeah. legendary. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to have a roast, if you right. wanted to have a, a, a toastmaster, that's your guy. He's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier sitting uh, and just absorbing. Uh, and, and watching and learning from somebody like Lunis McGlowen, mm-hmm. who's a WBT Hall of Famer. Uh, when I first started working here, the first paying job that I had was in high school uh, in um, uh, 1990. And the shift that I worked, I ran the board on Sunday nights, mm-hmm. and you know the shows changed. They were network shows and whatnot, but I didn't know what I was getting into until I showed up for work, and then every week, every Sunday night, I started showing up for work uh, a little earlier than I was supposed to, and the reason is, is the show that led into that was the Sunday Night Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and so for about three years, I sat in that studio and just rapped with Rockin' Ray Gooding.
2: Oh, I just love Ray.
1: And uh, you... Just loved him. You... Uh, I mean, Ray passed away several years back, and, and uh, rest in peace, of course. But you, um, you were, gave the induction speech when he was inducted into mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame uh, back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was so fitting. Rockin'
2: Ray. Rock and Ray, man. The Sunday Night Hall of Fame. He was the community affairs director, but he was the guy they put in there to do a show that Carolinians would listen to. Like on a Sunday night when they're driving back from Myrtle Beach, right? And they'd be dr- getting 50 miles in, man. They'd be switching in, trying to find it. And then they would hear that voice.
0: Rockin Ray, you're king. Presenting the king of rock and roll. One through party a party. little bit of incarceration we'll
2: boogie. And that voice was so different. There were so many vanilla voices. But his voice, will you, won't you? How come don't you put your hands together? For the right reverend, Ray Charles. Ray Gooding, when he was in his 20s, was the number one radio personality, 12-plus, in this town. And here's why. Because the black community, the African-American community, all loved him. And they all, they all knew him. He was a part of it. But back then, the white kids in Myers Park and Dilworth and South Charlotte and wherever, they didn't want to hear Perry Como. They wanted to hear Eddie James and Hank Ballard. And they listened to Ray, and he put it through the roof. And I just love that. I love that about the guy. Ray Gooding was a personal friend of mine, and one of the reasons was we spoke the same language, loved the same music. The second thing you don't know about him is not only did he play those great songs out of the 60s, but he knew these people. Uh, Otis Redding was a house guest. I don't think uh, Vivica was even born back then. But Otis Redding, when he'd play Charlotte, he'd stay with Ray. James Brown would come by the station. He was a great man, and he expanded WBT to be a station of all people. And I love him. So will you, won't you? How come don't you?
1: Remember Rock and Ray. Thank you.
0: And I want to say it's my plum pleasing, pleasant pleasure to be a part of this very auspicious occasion.
1: Here's a guy I, I can say that I got to know a little bit. If I, if I walked into the room, he'd always say... <laughs> he'd, say, he'd say it so loud Yeah, I'd always be waiting for it but I know that uh, you guys had a special relationship yeah you
2: know I wasn't making a lot of money back then and Ray had this uh, DJ thing yeah. and he was, he did very well with this DJ thing now I don't think Uncle Sam was seeing a whole lot of it but he, he, he had a really cool tricked out van and uh, he had a second van that was Oh, he had a van that was tricked out before they used the phrase tricked out. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And he had the second van. And uh, I needed some money for some curtains for my house. Oh, by the way, my first house was in Dilworth and on Sarah Marks uh, Avenue. And I found out by doing some research that Sarah Marks was married to T.T. Cole, who was Grady Cole's brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, oh, that's, that's that always, was weird.
1: That's like the the planets aligning. I know, coincidence. I know.
2: So I said, I said, Ray, um, do you ever get double booked? Like, I need to pick up a couple of hundred bucks. I need some new curtains. And he said, Yeah, <laughs> I, I two weeks. I'm double booked. I didn't know what to do. I said, I have no equipment. I'm, I'm not even sure I know how to do this. Oh, I got I got the equipment too. I got two sets. Yeah, but do I put it in my car? No, you you use the uh, my second van. <laughs> I went. Okay, so you have a second van. All right. Yeah, and I'm going to go send along my son. My son will help you set up. I went, beautiful. So I get booked into the Statesville Country Club, and uh, I got the van over at Ray's house. And I get on 77, and it's three on the tree. Three, this is how old it is. <laughs> and I, I'm on 77, and I'm in second gear. I'm going about, I don't know, 45, something like that. And I go to shift into third, and it doesn't go but I have to have that money (laughs) I drove from here to Statesville in second gear (laughs) gear. and it's like (laughs) people are are going by flipping me
1: off (laughs) but I got the money got the money yeah yeah Ray Gooding, uh, I, shortly before he passed away, uh, I saw him, maybe the last time I ever saw him, but I always always tell people, Ray Ray always has something else cooking. Always. You know, you said he had a second van. He always had a second, uh, like a side hustle, something that he Apartments. was... Apartments. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and one day he, he said, I see him in the hall, and this is when I was in college, I think, and I said, hey, hey, Bo, how you doing? And we're catching up, and he says, You got I got to tell you about my new thing. hmm Ray's new thing is Ray Gooding the comic book, <laughs> and he's serious. Yeah, oh yeah, he's serious. No, yeah. maybe somewhere in Charlotte in some storage unit, you know, the blueprint somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it ever actually saw publication, but yeah. he always had something. That I remember, Ray Ray is like Superman the movie. Yeah, Ray Gooding the, the comic, comic, comic book. book. Yeah, so
2: yeah. He was it. an entrepreneur. I mean, no two ways about it.
1: Uh, Cully Tarleton.
2: Yeah, Cully uh, was. My manager, when um, I was on morning drive, and I think a little while while I was on at night, and I think Harold Henson left, and then Cully took over. He was the sales manager. He ran a tight ship. He ran a tight ship, but he was so good to me. He made sure that uh, I got what I needed. Now, his main job was to get me for as little money as possible, and he did a good job with (laughs) that, too. But uh, I'm fighting with another Jock Bob Murphy, because Thomas had left. He was at Ways R O Q
1: with Sprinkle, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: and that was a formidable duo. um And again, they had two stations. I had one, and so they thought they were just going to blow me out. And that didn't happen. I think I went up against them with five rating books, and I won three or four, and they won. They won one, so I, I lost one. But I came back with the next one, number one. And the, and the Observer uh, didn't do anything with it. And Cully called up, and the Observer printed. Cully Tarleton called here the other day, wanting to know why we didn't talk about Bob Lacey winning the, the morning race. Frankly, it's become so common, it's not really a story anymore. I don't remember that, but Mary June Rose, uh, when I left, she saved it and gave it to me.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's very cool. Now, where where is that now? Is that framed
2: somewhere? No, it's somewhere in a box. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in a box. How about Hello, Henry Bogan? I didn't know Henry well. Like everybody, I thought he was as sweet as could be. The, The two shows that we did bore no resemblance because he's a nicer person than I am. He just is. My thing was much edgier. I didn't get in trouble. I mean, it wasn't shock jock stuff, but he was, I just had the feeling that he wanted to be everybody's friend, whereas I was always kind of looking for a place to riff and get a laugh. I don't think that's where his head was, but just the sweetest person and a real pro.
1: Well, look, uh, I know that uh, this next name uh, is more synonymous with your second radio gig uh, doing mornings uh, over on uh, FM. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to talk for a few minutes about Rick Jackson.
2: Yeah, yeah. Rick Jackson um, was just one of the greatest people that I've ever interacted with in radio. He, th- this was his first uh, general manager job. He was a program director, in, as you know, in uh, Denver, Colorado. And the station had gone through a terrible period with, I'm not going to mention the man's name, but just a terrible hire who was mean to people. He was a misogynist. He was um, just a terrible guy. He was so bad. They walked him out of this company. This is This is the worst guy that I've ever worked with, I think. They walked him out with an armed guard to make sure he got out and uh, brought in uh, psychologists to talk to the staff individually. That's how harmful this guy was. So they brought in Rick, and it was the exact opposite. This is a guy you could walk into his office any hour of the day, always upbeat, always thoughtful, always pushing you to do your best. And uh, Sherry and I, I think, stayed in Charlotte because of him and and a great general manager. I mean, this place was making a lot of money and he just was such a people person. When Sherry and I walked into uh, his office after he had given notice because he just couldn't bear to work for greater mediocrity, women pay attention to details more than men do. I just sat down. Sherry looked over at the empty bookcase and started crying because she knew that every woman... I think. And a couple of guys were crying when that guy left. That, that, that's the impact that he had.
1: Any names uh, that were very important to you in the uh, in the BT era that I didn't mention that should have been said?
2: I think you've done you've done your homework. <laughs> and I hate hearing old tape. I, I don't listen to my own show. I don't listen to competitors. I do it. I'm, I'm, I'm almost like Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts has never listened to a Rolling Stone album. And uh, I, don't, I don't go back and listen, and I cringe. You found some stuff that I was actually smiling, and I thank you very much for doing that.
1: Well, i got one more piece of audio, and it uh, represents— I'll probably presents. hate this one. <laughs> I don't think so, uh, but I'm curious because this is the, this is the transition. What is now, uh, you know, it's bookended by radio uh, gigs, uh, but at the time, this was your foray into TV, and uh, I don't know. Did, did you think you were coming back ever?
2: Uh— you know, I didn't give it a lot of thought. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that I would be a good fit for the newsroom, and I saw PM was going to be coming to an end. So I bailed about a—people say I have a golden gut. I bailed about a year and a half early, and then the place—the the show was number one Right for—
1: 10 years. And we should point out that uh, the, the WBT Morning Show was mm-hmm. number one, mm-hmm. and PM Magazine was number one when mm-hmm. you left both places. Yeah. You, you left on top in, in, in both categories, and you're obviously still riding uh, act number three right now, mm-hmm. but uh, that's, 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 not an, that's a cool thing to be able to say in retrospect, but not an it easy is. thing to do,
2: I imagine. It, 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 um, well, I don't know. As I said, there were fewer radio stations, so I'm not taking away from anybody who's in this business right now. It was pretty amazing to be on 7.30 till 8 o'clock at night, prime access leading to, after the CBS Evening News, which is number one, we had the first two years a 58 share. Holy cow. Of the market. Maura and I could not go anywhere without, and when we started having children. That doubled. Everybody wanted to have a picture with the babies and, and it, all. Well, what did
1: you think you were going into versus what it became? I just loved doing it so
2: much. I mean, I got to travel around the world for free, Australia and Hong Kong and all these amazing
1: places. Okay, hold that thought because I, you, you said the audio. I got one more piece here. Here we go. Hello, I'm
3: Bob Lacey. Tonight on PM Magazine, we'll take you inside Egypt. Explore Africa's biggest city, Cairo. From Hong Kong, the gateway to China. Welcome to PM Magazine from beautiful mountains. Right, we're finishing up our week in the South Pacific on the beautiful island of Bora Bora. Here they are, the hounds and the horses, on their way for a fox hunt out here in Matthews. Isn't this terrific? It really is very picturesque. So join us for PM magazine. Your are going places Monday at 7:30 on WBTV Channel 3. Right now I'm over here at the Methodist Home Park in Charlotte, and I have on my inversion boots, which enable me. <laughs> Have the strength. <laughs> Wait a minute, folks. I'll get up there It enable me to get up like a circus performer. <laughs> they will enable me if I'm good and I try very, very hard to put myself up like and I have on, as you can see, my inversion boots. Now, what these <laughs> things will enable me to do is hook... Just like a circus performer. Yeah, there they are, the hounds and the horses, on their way for a fox hunt out
1: here in Matthews. <laughs> Isn't
2: this that was oh. on America's Funniest Home Video. Your uh, inversion the, the boots? The inversion boots, along with um, Maura and I were in Key West, across from Sloppy Joe's Bar, and we're, we're walking and the camera person is, uh, you know, in front of us. And this guy walks by and drops his pants. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> it, it got on the air. And, and they asked for it. The, the only... Other thing that I, I think is interesting is uh, Carowinds was just an amazing place. You know, yeah. it, it opened up when I when I was uh, so young. I brought on Dick Clark and his cavalcade of stars. I don't even remember who performed, but he had like five or six acts that had hit records. And so I'm I'm backstage and I, I'm going, God, maybe I can see him or shake his hand. And somebody said, Dick wants to say hello to you. And I uh, I went in and he's putting on makeup, and I said. Dick, uh, you're, you're, I'm, I'm just in awe. You're such a hero of mine. He says, just sit down. Sit down. Tell me the station. WBT. Oh, WBT with the mellifluous voices of the South. He was aware of what WBT was. And um, he's putting on the makeup. And a guy opens the door and says, hey, Dick, Jerry Lewis wants to know if you want to be on uh, his show. Tell that son of a bitch, I wouldn't go and do that show <laughs> for anything in the world. You tell that son of a bitch right now. So how long you been there, Bob? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> have you ever, and I met him two or three other times. He's,
1: he was always just very nice. Have you ever heard the, the Casey Kasem meltdown? Yes. Okay. So yeah. Exactly.
0: Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's come start again. See, when you come out of those up tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions, and then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but God damn it, if we can't come out of a slow
1: record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? What I love about that is at the very end where he says, are you serious? Uh, a a, a and, then, and then he comes on and he says, hi, I'm Casey Casey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Join me every Sunday morning at 2. And then he went, 2? 2 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> <2 a>. <laughs> so, yeah, it's was it was the there. same
2: thing. It's the same thing. So
1: yeah. uh, so PM Magazine, does that uh, audio montage get, get your seal of approval, too? Yeah, without a doubt.
2: Okay. I mean, and that was a blast to go to all those places. I mean, and and I just so love the Charlotte audience, uh, both with TV and in radio, uh, especially those early years. They were always so nice to me and so forgiving of somebody that, you know, does not have a doctorate in English. Um, they, they forgave my failings. They, they would disagree with me politically, and they still loved me, and I still love them. It's just... It was a great place to be on the air. It
1: still is. Well, I was going to ask you that question. What, what about WBT since you left?
2: Well, it's not the same station. Uh, I think I started off when we were talking, uh, describing it as a community radio station. Um, and I know it, it has when you're on. It still is. When uh, the excellent news uh, casters are on, it still is. But obviously, uh, if that is not your flavor of politics, it isn't something that I recognize as WBT. I think Ben Hogan was playing golf in a pro-am, and one of the amateurs said, uh, Mr. Hogan, my ball is on a rock. Um, Could I move it and then hit? And I think it was Hogan. Hogan said, well, you can move it. But it's not a game I recognize. <laughs> this is WBT, but it's not the radio station in my memory that I recognize.
1: Well, and since you've left, it's been it's, it's gone through several phases since then. I yeah. mean, you know, uh, John Hancock, Henry Bogan. Right. Um, uh, so many people that I, Mike Collins, so many people that I can name came after you. Right. Uh, you, Collins
2: you... is fantastic. I think one of the best interviewers I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I have all kinds of I wouldn't be in the business had it not been for uh, for meeting him. And yeah. he, he kind of showed me the ropes around here. Mm-hmm. So he, he's been gone for a long time, too. So, yeah. it, it's a but you still you still you radio. You came back to radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went you went from radio to TV and back to radio. And obviously, uh, you're, you're in the, the, the third act now of what mm-hmm. it's been an incredible career, a career that. Um, well, it's going into podcasting. Yeah. So so what now? I mean, uh, I I know where you are right now, but do you you like the? go ahead and ask the question, when are you going to retire? No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not where I was going. Actually, Uh, I've known you not real well over the years. But one thing and, and you've reinforced it a couple of times during this, but you're not a guy who likes to look back. No, much. you you like to keep an eye on what's ahead uh and of course asking you when you're going to retire will be looking ahead but that's not really my my focus at this point i i, I didn't know if you would ever would even want to do this because i know how much you really don't like to dwell on what happened in the past but you have to know uh when you you sit back and i i got to imagine these moments come uh, every now and then where you sit back and you have to say to yourself man bob Lacey's done a lot in this market Yeah, uh,
2: I have. I've been very, very fortunate. I was at the right place at the right time and the right person or two came along that I clicked with. And uh, it just worked like magic for me. I don't like to uh, go to get togethers. Um, I, I don't go on Facebook and do those were the days. Because I think once you start doing that consistently, you all of a sudden trigger in your mind that the past is more important than right now. And as wonderful as the audience is, they want you in the present right now. And as soon as you say to yourself, the present doesn't interest me, you should hang it up.
1: Because of the logistics of pulling all of this off. And, and look, I'm like the last, I, I'm the only guy left around here necessarily who's connected. Uh, yeah, to, that's to, true. To what, so that's sort of why, you know, this podcast series that I'm doing uh, made so much sense. And and I'm, first of all, really grateful that you agreed to do this because uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, like I said at the start, uh, I grew up working here, but when I started working here, you'd, you'd been here a lifetime almost uh, in radio terms and broadcast terms, really two of them. But just the idea that I get to do this right now with You uh, is a real thrill for me. So thank you. Let let me just
2: just before uh, we sign off here. The reason I'm doing this, you're right. It's very astute that uh, you really have done your homework. That I don't, I don't go down memory lane very often. But I could sense talking to you and what I know about you, your reverence for this property, for for this uh, these call letters, and uh, that to me was was uh, was important. And I have really enjoyed it. And I don't think anyone has ever put together my career like this. As a matter of fact, nobody has. WBT threw away all of the PM magazine tapes.
1: (laughs) Well, I I, I did have to... uh... (laughs) It wasn't the easiest thing to track down all of that. I'll bet. But there are a few people down the hall that I still know and have connections with. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I found a few things here and there. So we've been a lot of places, Bob Lacey, and uh, this means a lot to me that you sat down and, and, and did this. Um, you mean a lot to me as a broadcaster and, and are one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to be in this building in the first place. So so thank you. Thank you.
2: And for anyone listening, obviously you are a WBT fan. Let me just say that you couldn't have anybody better than Bo behind the microphone in the morning right now. Not just because of his gifts, his knowledge, the ability to uh, handle breaking news and all, but this is a person who truly
1: loves this radio station. Well, thank you. Uh, it's not necessary to say, but but anything that yeah, like, is coming from you that 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 um, you know that that means the world to me. Uh, WBT. When Bob Lacey looks back at WBT and your heyday here and the thing that led to so many other things. I just want to
2: thank, number one, the audience, as as I mentioned a little bit earlier, just the most loving, wonderful, supportive place that I could have been broadcasting from, especially in the early days. People were just so sweet with such a great sense of humor and really wanted you to do well. Just love the Charlotte audience and welcome to some of the newcomers and good Lord, there's a lot of them. And I just am so grateful that I ran into people like Maura Quinn and Sherry Lynch and Rick Jackson and Cully Tarleton and Jim Babb and Wally Jorgensen and so many others that uh, we haven't... We haven't And Mary McMillan, who started as Lunas McLuhan's secretary in the uh, studio... That you now broadcast out of and then eventually became the manager of WBTV. All of these people made it possible for me to have this lovely career and, and do this for a living. And I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, that I took a chance on coming here all those many years ago.
1: Bob Lacey, the one and only. Thank you, Bob.
2: Thank you.